The Holy Gospel according to John, the 12th chapter. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. For those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The Gospel of the Lord. It has been said that it's the task of the prophet to afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted to the degree that either one of those is measurable. When it comes to afflicting the comfortable, the prophet Jeremiah would, without a doubt, receive a very high mark, quite possibly the highest mark of all of the prophets in the Old Testament. Jeremiah's call to ministry is recorded in the first chapter where God said to him, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, to pull down, to destroy, and to overthrow. In other words, the prophet was chosen to afflict Israel while in the comfort of her sin. And for the most part, 48 chapters of this book, the longest book in the Bible, by the way, that is exactly what Jeremiah did. He delivered a message of judgment, doom, and destruction so unpopular that the people of Israel repeatedly sought to silence him. At various times during his 40-year career as a prophet, Jeremiah was persecuted, arrested, put into stocks, charged with treason, threatened with death, and thrown into a pit. And through all of this, Jeremiah refused to be silenced. Through the reigns of five kings, the destruction of Jerusalem, the demolition of the temple, the exile to Babylon, and the end of the monarchy, Jeremiah relentlessly condemned idolatry, greed, and false prophets. He preached to and pleaded with his people, explaining that repentance, if sincere, would avert the coming disaster. All of which is to say, 
The reading for today from the 31st chapter of Jeremiah comes as a bit of a surprise. Jeremiah says, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The surprise is this. Before the people of God repent or change, before they confess their sin or seek forgiveness, before they admit brokenness or acknowledge their need for God, before any of this, in an act of what can only be called raw grace, God not only forgives their iniquity but also commits to remember their sin no more. So, in response to Israel's failure to live in a covenant relationship, God forgives and refuses to remember. In response to their infidelity, God forgives and refuses to remember. In response to their sin and brokenness, God forgives and refuses to remember. Notice that it doesn't say God forgives and forgets their sin. It says God forgives and remembers their sin no more. That is an important distinction. To forget is an experience of a lapse in memory. It's not intentional, it's an accident, or more accurately, a failure to recall. So to forget is not in God's nature, which is steadfast, perfect, and flawless. To remember no more is not at all the same thing as forgetting. Rather, it is a decisive, intentional act on God's part. God chooses to remember sin no more. He hasn't forgotten it. God has decided to remember it no more. Now, while some will hear this as good news, perhaps they will even receive it with a heavy sigh of relief, others will find it to be a difficult pill to swallow because, well, it sounds completely illogical and absolutely unfair. In a world that keeps tally, pays attention to the scorecard, in a world that rehearses the slights and the wrongs and the failures of others in anticipation of a day of reckoning, in a world that remembers well and does not forget misdeeds, this display of grace, forgiving iniquity and remembering sins no more, is outrageous. If that is what you think about God's expression of raw grace here in Jeremiah, that it is outrageous, you should take a look at the book of Jonah. We've been studying Jonah chapter by chapter on Wednesday nights during our midweek worship. When God asked Jonah to go to Nineveh and warn the people of the city that coming judgment was due to them because of their evil ways, Jonah ran in the opposite direction. 
As far as he was concerned, he wanted nothing to do with extending God's grace to the enemy. The Ninevites were evil and they didn't deserve to be forgiven. They had well earned God's judgment eventually, but only after fleeing across land and sea, after being thrown overboard, after spending three days in the belly of a fish and after being spit up onto the shore, only then does Jonah and very reluctantly, only then does he go to Nineveh and deliver God's message with as little heart and punctuation as possible. He mumbles, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And that's where there is another surprise. The entire city repents. So while the king, all the people, and all of the animals don sackcloth as an expression of their repentance, Jonah, quoting now from Pastor Strand Patterson's sermon on Wednesday, Jonah builds himself a little front row seat just outside the city where he sits, waiting to see what will happen next, hoping to see God destroy Nineveh anyway. It's a study in contrasts these two prophets. Jonah doesn't want to see the enemy forgiven, but they repent and they're saved from judgment anyway. And Jeremiah wants nothing more than for his people to repent and to be saved, but they won't listen, nor will they repent, which is when God steps in and dispenses grace, forgiving them anyway. It's a study in contrast, these two prophets, but the message is the same. All God ever wanted was to be reconciled with his people, and he is willing to go whatever distance is required in order to accomplish that, even when it means forgiving our enemy, even when it means forgiving without evidence of a repentant heart, even when it means sending his own son to the cross, suffering the consequences that you and I deserve, even when it means forgiving our iniquity and remembering our sin no more. That is how deeply God loves us. That's how important we are to God. And that is how outrageous the grace of God is as demonstrated in the book of Jonah and as expressed in the book of Jeremiah. God's grace is nothing if not unearned, undeserved, excessive, wildly exaggerated, and completely improbable. Today marks the beginning of the final week of the season of Lent. Next weekend, Holy Week begins, and just 14 days from now, we will hold our celebration of Easter, the day when death was swallowed up in victory once and for all. And then we'll be reminded, God is at it once again, demanding our attention, disrupting our way of thinking, our way of viewing the world, our way of being in relationship, God is declaring our iniquity forgiven and our sin remembered no more. Thanks be to God. Amen.